my name is Dave Holt. For those of you I have not had the uh, pleasure of meeting, and I'm excited to be with you this morning as we continue our series on Sermon on the Mount. And we're actually coming to the end of these uh, this message, the most famous message in all the world that Jesus preached in, in the early part of Matthew. And it seems like as Jesus is drawing to a close here, he's hitting some rapid fire bullet points of like some strong spiritual truths. And that started last week as Brian preached on the golden rule. And this week we're going to look at the narrow gate. Now, as I started reading the scriptures, only two verses, Brian gave it to me. I'm like, okay, my normal sermon prep is to read through a passage, meditate on it, kind of pray about it. Before I do any kind of study at all, I just start writing notes. I was like, what? what am I going to say about this? Like, it seems like I could just read the verse and walk off and you're thinking, yeah, do that. Um, but I'm not. So I, I started thinking about this. I started writing and writing and writing. I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much here. There's so much, not only with the words on the page, but there's so much behind the words. And I realized as I started looking at this, this, this is a path really that Jesus is paving to show us and to tell us about this narrow gate. So this morning, we're just going to dive straight into this because I'm excited about this message I'm going to be honest with you, it's a little bit different of a message that I normally preach. As believers and as pastors, it's easier to focus on the really good things about Jesus and the really good parts of what a relationship with Jesus looks at. But the reason we have really good things is because there's also really bad things that are alternatives. And today we're going to talk about those and dive into that heaviness. So let's pray together before we do that. God, anytime we're able to open your word and discuss it freely, it is a privilege. God, all of us come from different paths and places into this place today, but we're all here for a reason. And so God, I pray that we don't just miss this opportunity to hear from you and to connect with you. God, there's been so much worship that's already happened this morning, even before we came into this place, but through the, the singing of the songs, through praying, through taking the elements, through greeting one another. God, there's been so much good that's happened today. So I pray in this moment, we silence our distractions, our fears, our worries, our frustrations. We have open minds, open ears, and open hearts to you. God, speak to us clearly this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn in or turn on to Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. Uh, we'll have the words here on the screen. So the narrow gate is the section we're reading here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow. And the road is difficult, and only few ever find it. Now, as we dive into this scripture this morning, we have to realize that even though it's only a few verses here, that Jesus' message is multifaceted here. It's complex and it's heavy. But I think what we can do is take a wide-angled lens perspective at it and then go down the path and get to a more narrow and specific place. So let's jump in at the widest point of what his point is. And the first point is this, that everyone is on the same path. Every single human being, every single person that has ever lived on this planet and that will ever live on this planet has been on this proverbial path of life. 
right? In the words of um, the great theologian uh, Prince, he said, right, we're all experiencing this thing called life. Everyone is on the path of life. And since everyone is on the same path, we all share some common characteristics. Now, true, everyone is at different places on their path and different journeys. I mean, there's been billions and billions and billions of people on this path of life. But every single person has shared some common characteristics, such as none of us get to pick where we're born, how we're born, to who we're born, or you know, when we're born. We're all just kind of plopped on this path of life. The next thing we have in common is we all have the same common human needs. We have the same needs for physical needs, survival needs. We all have communal needs. There's uh, needs for meaning or purpose. And we all even have spiritual needs. Now, like I said, everyone's journey on this path, we're journeying together. We have the same start that we have no control over. We have the same needs. And the reality is also true that we all have the same end, that every single person that is on the path of life will experience death. Don't give you the warm Jesus fuzzies I know that you're used to or the uh, encouraging message that you may be looking for. But the reality is statistics show that 100% of everyone in this room will die at some point, right? It doesn't matter what um, you know, procedures or potions or products we try to do to stay forever young, we will experience death. Now, it's easy to think because we all experience death, that is just a natural human condition. But that wasn't always the case. We can read in Genesis, it only takes us to get three chapters into the Bible where we see death appears on the scene because it's the choice of human beings. Death is a direct result of a spiritual condition that we all suffer from, and that is sin. Every single person on the path of life has the same spiritual deficiency, which is caused by sin. A very simple definition of sin is just the things that we do that are against God that separate us from God. Paul reminds us in the Roman, in book of Romans in chapter 3 that for everyone has sinned, every single person on the path of life has sinned. Then a couple chapters later in Romans 6, he says, and the wages of that sin is death. Simply put, we earn death because of our sin. Now that doesn't sit well with a lot of people. I can think back to a specific conversation I had with a guy in Starbucks where he just did not believe that everyone was born sinful. He had a small daughter and she was there. He's like, I just can't believe that she's sinful. <laughs> and I asked him, I said, okay, do you ever correct her? Do you ever discipline her? He said, well, yes. I said, well, why? Why would you discipline her if she's not sinful? Well, because I want her to be good. Well, who defines what good is? You can only know what good is if you know what a bad is. If you want to avoid from being bad, then you're punishing her for a reason. What is that reason and where does it come from? So that is a normal conversation we get into that if there is sin existing, we may not like it, but it's there. And I normally ask this question. I'm going to ask it to you as well. I want you to think about this in your head. Don't say this out loud, even if you're wearing a mask, okay? If you could do anything, anything, and get away with it, no one would ever find out, what would you do? Think about that. I thought I heard somebody like making a reaction. It was a car out there. I was like, whoa, somebody's really, really getting into this, right? Okay. Let's say that um, it did get found out what you did. How many of you would be in jail right now? 
Yeah, so, yeah, honest, thank you. You're an honest person. I appreciate that. Uh, how many of you would have had some awkward conversations and uh, maybe some relationships that would be broken? Uh, some of you would be a lot richer. You would have bought GameStop stock, you know, uh, earlier this week or whatever, uh, Kodak or AMC. Um, how many of you said um, end poverty? No one? Okay. Um, it, uh, what about in COVID? In COVID-19, anybody? One person, thank you for looking out for us. We got one good soul in this place, right? Gosh, you sinners. Um, so, right? But generally, the reason we think about that question that way is, oh, I can get away with something. Because what sin really is, it's selfishness. Sin is about us. And the ultimate sin is making ourselves equal to God. So although we're all on the same path of life, we all have some very similar conditions including a similar end, which is caused by sin. So the next truth that we see in the scriptures, our second point this morning is this, that everyone will encounter two gates, a narrow gate and a wide gate. Every single person that is on this path of life at some point in their journey will experience two gates, that narrow gate and a wide gate. I love that Jesus says that on this path of life, there's only two gates, There's not three gates, there's not 10 gates or 100 gates or an infinite amount of gates. He also doesn't say that all paths lead to one gate. He gives two definite gates that we see here on this path of life. The narrow gate, which leads to God's kingdom, and the wide gate that leads down the highway to hell. How many of you are humming that song right now in your head, if you're honest, right? I'm not familiar with it. I only listen to K-Love. But um, all you other sinners, I, I could tell you connected with it. Just kidding. And Striper. Um, if you were here for my first message. Um, so here's the deal. We, we have these two gates that we encounter. Where do they lead? Where are the paths that these two gates lead down? The first one that he says is this narrow gate that goes down to, or leads to God's kingdom. Now, what does that mean? God's kingdom is something that's profound and complex. You can spend many, many years going down the rabbit hole, studying all the nuances and complexities of God's kingdom. But the main thing I want to leave you with this morning is that God's kingdom is not a place. Jesus is not referencing some magnificent city here that has this huge fortified wall with just this skinny little narrow gate that only a few can get in. It's not a physical place. John Piper describes it this way. He says the basic meaning of the word kingdom in the Bible is God's kingly rule, his reign, not the R-E-I-N that we just heard on the the roof, but the R-E-I-G-N, his reign, his action, his lordship, and his sovereign governance. So a simple description of God's kingdom where this this narrow gate leads to, it's God's universal and eternal reign over everything that belongs to him. So the narrow gate leads to God and everything that belongs to God. All right, we got that. Now let's talk about the wide gate. The wide gate leads to that highway to hell. And we have to ask ourselves, what are your thoughts about hell? It's not something we spend a lot of time thinking about or that we like to think about. I mean, where is it? What is it like? Who's there? We have all these questions about hell. In the years, there's some Gallup and Pew research polls. They do uh, a lot of research polls for spiritual things, not only for believers, but also non-believers. And one of the questions they frequently ask is, do you believe in hell? 
And it's trending that less and less people believe in the realness of hell. Because I think it's not fun to think about. And it's also confusing. Like, what is hell? Why does it exist? I mean, even the way we use the word hell and the context we use it in, it shows that we're just confused with it, right? I mean, you've heard it. Like, we say, who the hell, why the hell, when the hell, how the hell, you know, all that kind of stuff. We also think, like, uh, temperature, right? We say it's hot as hell, right? Sorry. I'm sweating right now, so um, I'm using that in a biblical sense. Right, but hot as hell. But then we also say it's cold as hell. Like, what? I don't even understand. It's winter. Yes. What? I don't even understand that. And my favorite is something that is good as hell. Okay. But then there's something that's bad as hell. But that can mean good or bad, depending on your context of how we use it, right? I mean, even the context we use this word hell shows we, we have no idea what it really means. Now, this is something we could dive off the deep end in and really get in and be its own series about the realities of hell, which I'm sure <laughs> would be a packed house, too. <laughs> Listen to that. But here's what I want to just answer this morning. Is hell real? Is what Jesus is referencing here in Matthew 7, is it something real or is it figurative that he's talking about? If you look throughout the Bible, and obviously depending on which translation you look at, hell is mentioned over 150 times in Scripture. Although the Bible never mentions specifically where hell is located, it gives us some symbolic descriptions of what hell is like, the essence of hell. And it says things like this. It's a bottomless pit. It's a lake of fire, darkness, destruction, a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. I'm not even sure what that really means, but it sounds awful, right? A place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. And here's even better, a place of graduated torment that lasts forever. Now, again, these things don't specifically describe the realities of hell, but give us a description that hell is worse than we could ever dream or imagine or comprehend. That its awfulness exceeds our ability to describe it. That's probably why Jesus spends so much time warning us about the realities of hell. In fact, he warns us about hell more than any other person in the Bible. If you read the New Testament and the Gospels, we see that Jesus actually talks about hell more than he talks about heaven. So if we believe the existence of God's kingdom in heaven, that ultimate good, then we have to believe in the realness of hell, the ultimate evil and bad. So if the kingdom of God is where God is and where he reigns, then hell is where God is not. Now, I know this probably maybe opens Pandora's box a little bit for questions you may have about hell. But here's where I always land on hell. We don't have all the answers. We don't have all the understanding. But here's where I always land. If the one who specifically knows the most about heaven and hell warns you how bad it is, and if that same person came and actually died to give his life to save people from going there, then that's all I need to know that it's bad and that I don't want to go there. I'm going to go with the guy that actually went, died like everybody else on the path, but he defeated death, the only one to do that. I'm going to follow him and listen to what he says. So Jesus says that everyone on this path of life will encounter the two gates. And those two gates are completely opposite of each other and lead down completely opposite paths. One path is narrow. One path is wide. One path is sparsely populated. One path is heavily populated. One path leads to us being with God. One path leads to us being separated from God. 
One path leads to life. The other leads to death. So after we encounter these two gates, and that brings us to our next point in the process down the path is everyone must choose a gate. Every single person on the path of life will come to a fork in the, lo- in the road. They will come to a point in time where they will face these two gates and they have to make a decision. Which gate will they choose? Which path will they pursue? And the truth is that no one is exempt from choosing a gate. One of the objections we see to people thinking about the realities of heaven versus hell is like, how could a loving God send someone to hell who has never heard about him? Like we have lived in the South, maybe you consider this the uh, Bible Belt, if that even really exists anymore, or you know, we've had access to spiritual you know, books and podcasts and music and going freely to church. Not everybody's had that. There's remote places in the world that haven't even heard about Jesus. How can they be held to the same standard? Paul addresses this very question in Romans 1, verse 20. It says this, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. What that means is that every single person on the path of life has experienced and seen evidence of God's kingdom. It's clear to every single person. And everyone has to make a choice to enter the narrow gate or the wide gate. And what we see here is a non-choice is a choice. Not making a choice for the narrow gate is actually choosing the wide gate. And based on the differences we talked about, you know, this gate that leads to life, there's one gate that leads to death. It seems like that would be an easy choice to make. Death or life, no brainer. We would choose life. But Jesus says that those paths aren't what you think they are. Jesus gives a description of the path of life and says, listen, this gate, this narrow gate, the path it leads to is narrow. It's difficult. And only few ever find it. But this wide gate, and it leads to this highway to hell, and that path is smooth. It's easy. And it's very crowded. So the reason I think that Jesus says this, and it's opposite. It's like, wait, it should be the other way around. Shouldn't God want more people there? Like, I don't understand. And I think this is the reason why. Because saying yes to the narrow gate means saying no to the wide gate. There's a choice that has to be made. And that choice requires us to count the cost. And that brings us to our next point in the path is Jesus is the gate of the narrow path. Jesus is the gate to the narrow path. This is the main point Jesus is making is that I am the gate. Choosing the narrow gate means saying yes to me. So how do we say yes to Jesus? How have you said yes? Have you said yes to Jesus in your life? What does that look like? And I remember I grew up in a Southern Baptist church and, um, you know, it was a great experience for me. I know it's not everybody's experience in that uh, particular denomination, but it was a great experience for me. And I remember um, when I got a little older, I heard this saying about Jesus that I didn't like because it kind of rubbed up against some things that I thought I thought about Jesus. And that saying was this. I want you to think about what it means. That there are many ways to Jesus. There are many ways to Jesus, but one way to God. No, I think there's one way to Jesus, right? No, no, no. There's many ways to Jesus, but there's one way to God. 
There's an old poem that's popular. It's uh, by an author named Gerard Manley Hopkins. And one of the last lines in this poem says, Christ plays in 10,000 places. Christ plays in 10,000 places. That means Christ is everywhere. There's multiple and infinite ways to Jesus. Eugene Peterson, uh, I know an author that Brian likes and I like as well, he loved that line so much that he wrote a whole theology book based off that line alone, that Christ plays in 10,000 places. Think about your story. If we went around and heard everybody's story, just like we heard the baptism stories this morning, how we come to know Jesus is different for everybody. It may be through church or through an event, through a conversation you had. I even had a friend that he was in a hotel room, and you know those Gideon Bibles in there that like no one ever reads? He was like the one that actually read it, and he opened up randomly to the book of John, started reading it, and gave his life to Jesus just by simply reading that Gideon Bible in the hotel room. Maybe for you, it's been through a tragedy that's happened in your life that's brought you closer to Jesus, or maybe through a triumph. But there are countless and infinite ways to Jesus. But there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus. There's only one way through God that no matter what we think or, or what we want to be open to or be free to, Jesus even says it himself. It's not what we say, it's what he said. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say, I am a way. Like, hey, there's multiple ways, but I am a way to God. He doesn't say, I am a truth. Like, you can live your truth, I'll live my truth, and all the truths will lead to the same place. And he doesn't say, you know, I will just give you a life. This is a good life if you want it, but you, you know, YOLO, you live your life, I'll live this one, and we'll all meet up in the same place. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to enter the path of life is by believing in the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus and putting our faith that he is the gateway to God. And because Jesus is the only way to God, it's easier to understand our next point, and it's this, that the path of life is the road less traveled. This is why Jesus says only few will ever find it, that the path of life is the road less traveled. I mean, human condition, we're wired to think that, you know, easier is better, right? Like, we are hardwired to go down the path of least resistance. In fact, if we hit hard things in life, like, 2020 has been hard, as Chris said, man. It's been hard for everybody and for multiple reasons, much less COVID on top of that. But a lot of times we think, have I done something wrong? Is God punishing me? Where are you, God? You've abandoned me in this place. So then our mindset is, I've got to get out of this uncomfortable, awkward, terrible feeling and find the path of least resistance. That's the way we are hardwired. But unfortunately, Jesus says, listen, if you come through this narrow gate and you go down this path, it's going to be hard. I give you a guarantee, Jesus says, your life, this world, will give you trouble. <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. Like you could, Jesus, you could have changed that, right? You, you know that, Jesus, just so we're on the same page. No, he says, listen, I have overcome the world, but the world is going to give you trouble. You will experience trouble while you're walking down this narrow path. And I love the alternative description that the New Living Translation gives that wide path is the highway to hell. We think about that ACDC song that we can rock out to, right? Now, that song was written because of a story about the Canning Highway in Australia. The Canning Highway is this, in some parts of it, are long and desolate. 
And although there is a, a speed limit on it, nobody obeys that because there's just nothing there and it's straight and boom, people just fly on it. That's why the lyric of the song says, no stop signs, speed limits, nobody going to slow me down, right? They're going wide open down this highway. And at the end of the Canyon Highway in Australia, there's actually a very sharp and steep decline that literally dead ends into this well-known pub that many people like to partake in, especially those of ACDC fans, right? <laughs> They're ACDC themselves. They love this pub. That's why they wrote this song. But here's the thing. Because of the hazardous road conditions and because of the things that happen at this pub, when you mix them together, normally bad things happen. And so many people have been killed while driving on the Canyon Highway that it has earned the actual nickname of the Highway to Hell. Now, the phrase, the Highway to Hell, is a perfect description of how sin destroys our life. If we're honest, sin is fun. It's enjoyable. It's pleasurable. If it wasn't, it wouldn't tempt us. Right? It can only tempt us because we like to do it. We like how it makes us feel. We feel like it brings us enjoyment. We feel like it's satisfaction or that we've earned that because of the struggle and hardships we've experienced. But the truth about sin is that it is never satisfied. It wants more and more and more of you until it has completely consumed you and destroyed your life. Sin is like that sharp decline on the highway, the Canyon Highway, and it just causes your life when it's unchecked to careen out of control and it ultimately ends in death. A famous quote by a theologian always says this about sin and it always has stuck with me that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. The highway to hell is paved by our sin. And the only exit off the highway to hell is by being totally transformed by Jesus. Right? That is the purpose of Live Oak Church, is to see people transformed by Jesus. But what does that really mean? And that brings us to our last point this morning. That the narrow gate is just the beginning of your journey with Jesus. Choosing the narrow gate is just the beginning of your journey with Jesus. Now, transformation is always hard. If you tried to transform anything about yourself, it's hard. How many of you have made health resolutions as part of your 2020 goals? Oh, so you, some of y'all have already given those up, right? There's always next year, so it's okay. Um, right, so we already abandoned those, right? Jay or some other people are doing the uh, Whole30. I know uh, Chris said they're doing that. He's so close to the finish line. You know, I have friends that started out on the Whole30, and then it became like the Whole30 minutes. <laughs> like after breakfast, they're like, forget this. I'm going to Bojangles, right? Transformation is hard. Because the natural way your body is increasing in size and weight, and you're like, wait a minute, I've got to do something completely different if I want to change my health and set some new goals. Our spiritual transformation is difficult too. As a, as a mental picture or a connection to that, I think it's more like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. The only way that can happen is that caterpillar has to actually cease being a caterpillar. It has to die to itself in order to be rebirthed into something brand new. That caterpillar probably has no idea that it's going to fly one day, right? It's actually going to have wings, and we're going to consider a thing of beauty, not a pest to destroy. 
Jesus describes our spiritual formation with terms like being born again. If you've grown up in church, you probably, yeah, born again, amen, right? Good, hearty, Southern Baptist, amen there. But to somebody else, like, wait a minute, what are you talking, born again? When Jesus was having this conversation to a religious man named Nicodemus, he was like, are you saying I got to be like, come out of my mother's womb again? Like, I can't do that. I'm a grown man. Jesus said, no, 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 no. It's not a physical rebirth. It's a spiritual rebirth. Your old self is gone and your new life in me is born. You're totally different. You'll never be the same again. Your sinful self is gone and your new self is with me. I have made you clean and new. Paul even goes a little bit further in in his letter to the Corinthians. He's like, listen, for those of you who are in Christ, for those of you who have chosen that narrow gate and you've gone down that hard, difficult, narrow path of life, guess what? Your old self is gone. You don't even exist anymore because your new self is born in Jesus. That's what Jesus means by being transformed because that is why he is the only exit off the highway to hell. Because we have to die to our old selves and be born new in him. But putting our faith in Jesus isn't the final destination, right? These baptism videos were, were not the end, right? Hey, they've, they've made it. They've baptized. Let's celebrate. It's the new beginning. It marks the beginning of their journey down the path of life. A caterpillar's goal isn't just to make it to the cocoon. Oh, I've made it to the safety of my cocoon. I can just be here and be fine. Also, the goal isn't just to become a butterfly. Yay, I have wings. I can fly. It's actually to be a butterfly, to experience the beauty and the grace of everything that we associate with why we love butterflies. It's not actually just to become something different. It's to be different. Very key distinction there. Choosing the narrow gate is just the beginning of a lifelong transformation process as we journey down the path of life. Yes, it's hard. Yes, there will be trouble. Yes, there will be difficulties. Yes, we'll have questions and wonder if we're abandoned and left alone and where is God. But we can trust in God's goodness because he says, listen, I will never fail you. Yes, you have troubles, but I'm bigger than those troubles. I love the way the message talks about this transformation process and that it's not just the beginning, but it's about be, being Jesus and becoming more like Jesus. In uh, the message version of uh, chapter 7, verse 14 in Matthew, it says, the way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. I love it. I'll read it one more time. The way to life, to God, down that narrow gate, through that narrow path, is vigorous and requires total attention. It doesn't say it's smooth. It doesn't say it's a cakewalk. It's just covered with daffodils and tulips and, you know, lollipops. It's difficult. It's vigorous. It's challenging. And it requires our total attention. So our question from that scripture then is, are you vigorously giving your total attention to your walk with Jesus? Are you laser-focused on journeying down that path of life. So I think if we're honest, there are a lot of believers that just make it to the gate and then they just hang out by the gate. They're just satisfied with becoming a follower of Jesus. But Jesus calls us to be a follower, to be a fully devoted follower of him. The good news is if you don't know how to do that, that's why the church exists. We don't exist for Sunday mornings. Do you know that? This is a tool that we use to help people journey towards Jesus, to become transformed, to be like Jesus. We're in this together. 
So if you need help with that, I invite you to go to the connection table and say, listen, I need some help with my journey and my walk with Jesus. And they can give you resources. That's why they're here. But that's not going to drop in your lap. You just can't hang out by the gate and hope it just swings by you. You're going to have to take that step and make the effort to seek those things out. So as I close this morning, I'm going to invite the band uh, to come back up. And with everything that has been said about the path, and there's so much more that could be said, but you can see the complexities of this scripture, and everything really boils down, I think, to this question that we have to ask with these two verses. And the closing question for you to reflect on is this, which path are you on? Which path are you on this morning? Maybe you need to take a spiritual inventory of your life to determine which path you're actually on. A question you may want to ask yourself is this, is does sin have control of your life? Normally when we're asked that question, we don't have to think, does sin have a control of my life, right? It's normally like right there on the forefront of our mind. When you hear the word sin, you identify with that thing or those things that maybe have control of you and that are para- you're paralyzed by. Or do the things that surround your life reflect the kingdom of God? Or really, are you on cruise control headed down the highway to hell? If that's you this morning, or if you're unsure of which path you're on, the good news is that the narrow gate is wide open for you today. You can escape and exit off that highway to hell and belong to Jesus forever by saying, I choose the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and I give him my entire life. It's really that simple. For those of you who have entered the narrow gate and are on the path of life, I have a couple questions I want to ask you this morning. The first one is this. Are you currently uh, being transformed to become like Jesus? Are you vigorously giving it your total attention? Or has it become something you schedule or an afterthought or something you'll get to when you have time? Are you just hanging out in the comfort of your spiritual cocoon and just satisfied with simply becoming a follower of Jesus? Because what Jesus wants from your life is to be a follower of Jesus, to be a fully devoted follower of him, to be completely sold out. So that Christianity or a follower of Jesus isn't just one of the characteristics of your life, but it is the characteristic that defines who you are. I am first and foremost a child of God and everything else is just gravy. The other question I have, if you are on this path, is who is on the path with you? Are you walking solo down this path? Because we're not made to walk this journey of life alone. None of us are wired that way. We're all hardwired as part of our human condition to walk with others. And Jesus says, not only is that true physically, that is true spiritually. So who is on the path with you? Because your path is personal, but it is never private. Your faith in Jesus is personal, and it's a decision that you have to make to go through that narrow gate or that wide gate, but it is never private. We're not made to walk alone. And if we are just trying to go through life solo or just trying to just simply hang out by the gate, what in essence we're doing is we're waving at people as they pass us by on the highway to hell. You can be the difference in somebody's life. You have to invite them and show them the narrow gate and invite them to journey down the path with you. 
So as we close, I'm going to pray for us this morning. We're going to sing another song. I just want you to think and listen to God right now of which path are you on? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray in this moment right now that you will speak to us clearly and let us know which path are we truly on. Not which path we think we're on, not which path we want to be on, but God, which path we're truly on. And God, if we think we're on that highway to hell, if we're not even sure which path we're on, God, we can change that today. God, we can know that, as Jesus said, that he is the way, the truth, and the life to you. There is no other way. There is no other truth. There is no other path except through Jesus. And we can put our faith in Jesus, even in this very moment right now, and say, I believe in Jesus' life, his death, and resurrection to save me from that highway in hell, to give me the path of life that invites me into God's kingdom forever. God, for those who are on that path, I pray that we are convicted that uh, we're not satisfied with just being hanging out by the gate or the comforts of that spiritual cocoon, but God, that we will actually be fully devoted followers of Jesus. That we will spend our, our effort and our life vigorously trying to follow you and invite others to follow with you and journey with us down that path. So God, as we sing in this song and worship now, may we not only come to your altar physically, but also spiritually and mentally, that we lay it all down and surrender to you. In your name we pray. Amen.